and we are back episode 96 excited to be here we got tyrone wilchensky of wilchensky's on uh, tyrone does some really cool stuff with dry curing it's uh, in the salami game sausage maker i think he uses the term sausage maker um and he's also getting into you know some of that old school fermenting pickles and he's got a, a little mustard up his sleeve too we'll say eh, Chase? yeah did you see that uh that post he did the other day um about a, like it was uh it was a video of his <clears throat> excuse me his pickles is it oh a, yeah the ferment action man the, the fermentation yeah. action holy man that thing looked like a, a little volcano of uh bacteria just and the, and the good stuff. So if you listen into the podcast here, you'll learn the difference between, as as we put it, the good bacteria and the bad bacteria. Um, but if you, if you want to get into the game, this is the podcast for you. Yeah. And so before we dive headfirst into Tyrone and his, uh, what he's been up to there, what have we been up to? Chase, what's, what's good on your end? Start of fall, buddy. We've been uh, a little bit of archery hunting, a little bit of... Uh trying to get some upland birds in the ground um and just uh planning planning the rest of the fall planning the big hunt yeah man so the big hunt is coming up and so those who don't know chase and i are uh planning a northern manitoba moose hunt and i don't know how you feel chase but i'm excited Uh, i feel like we're getting back to something that we haven't done in a long time which is put the put the rubber on the pavement and head north and go do something go for an adventure we're going to go for an adventure i feel like and uh, we had a couple buddies coming up with us i'm also a little nervous because within that adventure we are heading into the great unknown in some ways like i i'm not completely sure what i, I know i'm not sure what i'm getting myself into here mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My, my biggest uh uh variable here of concern is is the train because for those of you that are listening and don't know we're, we're taking a train into our, our hunting location and uh i've never ridden on a train before and i've certainly never loaded all our gear and boat and possibly knock on wood um moose quarters onto a train before either so um i'm very interested to see how this goes i'm nervous i'm excited and um I will, I don't think I'll be relieved until, or feel relief until we're in the truck on our way home. The the other factor about this is like, we're not rolling in on the train at like normal daytime hours. Like our drop off and pick up is like 2 a.m. off the river kind of thing too. So that that throws a whole nother, um, just a whole nother um, curveball into things for us too. Yeah, like how do we pack and unpack? It's going to be interesting, but the 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 adventures there. Hopefully, we'll go fish some brook trout. Hopefully, we're connecting with the moose, and hopefully, we we get into some fun and back back country. Um, I'm already cold thinking about it though too. And I'll tell you what, um, one thing that's been saving me li- lately is my wool love, and I'll tell you why because. The rest of my gear, I don't say the rest of it, but some of it's breaking down here. I went on a, a duck hunt and I've got the old hole in the waders again. <laughs> <laughs> and so sometimes they're more of a wetsuit than a than a, a wader system. But 
the wool of, uh, even though it's not keeping me dry in that context, it's still keeping me warm um, and helping me pinpoint that leak, keeping me in the game long enough to find where that leak is coming from. So got on my first marsh hunt this uh, this past weekend, uh, found the leak, but uh, also more importantly, Willie got his first retrieve, That's which a- was super exciting. Big day, big day. Big day for the for the dog there. Big day for the setter, and uh, I can't I can't overemphasize how proud I was as a as a dog dad to to have that uh, that dog that you trained and spend so much time with bring back a uh, he brought back a blue wing teal. Yeah, that's awesome. So that was great. Um, I was a little soggy when it happened, but the good, <laughs> like I said, the good news is I was in my wool up. For those of you who don't know what wool up is, it's a merino wool base layer. Uh, they got all kinds of products from, you know, like the, the long underwear to, you know, your more traditional style uh, boxers. They've got uh, tops, you know, long sleeve tops, crew neck tops, you know, zip up tops. And they even now, you know, have a, a collared shirt. Um, so wool loves there to keep you dry, keep you warm, and also because of the antimicrobial properties, keep you smelling good. Yeah, um, you know what? I got a, I got something to tell you here. Here we go. Um, so I've been wearing that the the t-shirt quite a bit, and uh, I started, you know, the all the preseason stuff with the t-shirt on. And um, where are we? Midway through September now here, and I haven't washed it. I've been wearing it out every time I go hunting or every time I do something outdoors related because it's freaking amazing for one, but I just want to really test those antimicrobial properties out and it hasn't started, started to stink yet. So I'm just going to wear it until I'm pretty much forced to wash it and uh, we'll keep you up to date when that happens. <laughs> That's good to know. We're pretty I'm close gonna... to a month on it right now. Oh man. Well, I wish you luck. Um, for for those of you that maybe want to also take part in the same test, or maybe the 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 other sane part of the population who want to get into some old love without going through the test, um, check them out. Wool love. Yeah. And if uh, if you want some free free money from Wool Love to put towards some of their products, let us know. Uh, shoot us a message in our DMs. Tell let us. Tell us that you want some free money from Wool Love, and uh, we'll get your email off you, and they'll send you a gift card. We've had some people take us up on that. Don't wait. Uh, you can email us too, HAs, if you if you really want it. Yeah, you bet. Just uh, panoramicoutdoors at gmail dot com. Awesome. And the uh, the other thing here that uh, I'm curious about when we're we're planning the moose hunt is that I I started that Google kind of spreadsheet to to start planning the gear and the tasks and everything that needs to happen leading into the hunt mm-hmm. um kind of the way i like to envision our planning it, it helps me look at what needs to get packed and what needs to get done before we we hit the road um one of them on there have you done it yet is set your cash for the the eye hunter i haven't and that's a great reminder because that I'm definitely going to be using that a lot, and it's going to be. I mean, it's it's just as good as the GPS, right? Yeah. Here, here's another fun fact, and you'll uh, you might raise your eyebrows a little. I I retired the GPS out of my blind bag. You know that thing used to go everywhere with me. It's uh, 
It's not in there anymore. I took it out. Come on. It, called it dead weight and put it away. Yeah. Nice. Nice. That's yeah. a big day. That's and a big hey, day. It is. <laughs> I, I was keeping it in there for redundancy. And I'm like, hey, if I ever get stuck, maybe I'll use a GPS. No, I, I use my phone so much with iHunter that I just don't need it anymore. If my phone gets lost, I, I keep the compass for redundancy. I didn't need, I figure I don't need three levels of redundancy at mm-hmm. this point. Mm-hmm. so um the compass is there for really sticky situations but uh right now like the eye hunter is just so easy to use you got your waypoints you've got your topo maps you got your landowner maps you've got you know your public land subscription you got everything in that one package um and you can communicate through it so it's just it's it's a no-brainer for me yeah yeah the, the really uh one of the biggest tools that we've been using a lot lately is just like the the sharing aspect of it is in the communications where sharing waypoints sharing routes sharing drawings you know you can get the little pencil tool going in there and and you know mark it up and mark the funnels mark the low spots whatever you want to do and uh yeah share it all and and even uh one kind of thing that, that i did too was with like the trail cameras and the blind that I brushed in because I was pretty pl- proud of the uh, the brushing job I did on that one blind. And uh, it allows you to attach an image to, to all those files like you could do with some GPSs as well. But uh, if I'm giving that to you and you have no idea where this thing's set up and I really want to be discreet about it and I don't want to mark it with a piece of tape and, and whatever, it's a real good way for you to get a look at it before you head in there and then you know what you're looking for yeah by taking that photo and attaching it to the waypoint it's yeah. just so easy yeah yeah the the other thing i wanted to share here is that the we uh well where can folks get into iHunter chase well obviously they have the app on the phone but they also have the web platform and there's kind of two different versions there that you can work off of but if you head over to web.ihunter.com you can get 30% off your public land subscription if you type in the word Panoramic 30, the promo code Panoramic 30. So if you want to try it out and, uh, you know, you want to dive a little deeper into the, the iHunter stuff, that's a great way to get your feet wet. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a very useful level of the mapping. So we use it for years before the, uh, the landowner stuff came out and we use it a lot. So check it yeah. out. For sure. Great app. And uh, the other story I wanted to share is, uh, hey, I was actually going to try and get the pit barrel off you for some cooking here soon. Um, but I, I had a pizza all lined up and uh, <laughs> I had sauteed some, what I assumed were some lobster mushrooms that to throw on the pizza with, man, it was going to be a great pizza. It was going to be <laughs> lobster mushrooms with shallots, and there's going to be some salami on there. And then there was going to be some oregano. Actually, the pizza's all together. It's still sitting in my fridge. And I started talking to you about the lobster mushrooms I picked and quickly discovered that they weren't lobster mushrooms at all. Like I was like hours away from ingesting this thing. And uh, I went on dad's word that they were, in fact, lobster mushrooms. And he said it was such conviction that I, I never really cued into the fact that he might not know what he's talking about but yeah when i started describing these things to you they the 
reality changed quickly. Yeah, he was he was very close. I think I think he was correct on the description that they were young lobster mushrooms, but they weren't in fact lobster mushrooms. They were in fact gracilis. I think that's how you say it. That do become lobster mushrooms when they get parasitic. Um, I am not a hundred percent of the edibility of those. I think you can eat them, but I don't think people do eat them. Otherwise, they'd be picking them and not holding the lobster mushroom up with so much glory. Yeah, yeah, I, I did do some research, and or a buddy did a research and uh, sent me some info on it. And they're not exactly advised to eat. You might not get critically ill off of them, but they're not going to taste good, apparently. So. Yeah, that that's, uh, seems to be a common theme with a lot of the mushrooms is um, they don't, lots of mushrooms are toxic, so they will make you sick, but they won't, they're not necessarily poisonous to the point where they'll kill you unless you ingest a huge amount of them, you know. Yeah, totally. Anyways, where this is going is I need to get that pit barrel off you because I need to start cooking some of this other stuff that I got. Uh, sitting around the house i got some venison roasts that need to go in there i got a couple ducks that need to get done up pronto that i've been meaning to and uh yeah it's just one great way i think to start you know diving in before we we go into another full swing harvest season here yeah well i'll tell you what i was doing the same thing because i just i just finished my last tray charcoal in there um i did up some duck poppers in there and god i love the flavor that thing puts out if, if you're interested in stepping up the flavor game in your uh on your barbecue and doing it in a fairly simple way it's very easy to operate this thing and it's it just increases the flavor in the food that you put out it's just um it's almost intangible that the way that how much it increases that flavor so um amazing amazing cooker super easy to use Go pick one up. If you're in the States, pitbarrelcookers.com. They got free shipping all across the States. If you're up in the great white north here in Canada, check out their website. They have a map on there of all the locations that you can pick one up in your area. Um, Do so. They're cheap and they're amazing. The ROI is high on the pit barrel, I'll say. Yeah, definitely. Let's do it. And then I guess you and I have been spending some time archery hunting mm-hmm. and uh i missed the buck yeah he did he missed, i missed them missed a good it was, one it was a nice buck <laughs> some lessons were learned and uh the the uh one thing that was not cooked in the pit barrel was the humble pie that i've been eating for the past week um just a heartbreaking kind of miss where it was uh it was a difficult shot but just needed to learn some lessons for next year or maybe the next opportunity that I'll get. Is that fair to say? Mm-hmm, definitely. But I do, you know what? I often think about that situation too. And I, I, that blind that we're in there is just not ideal. I feel like for shooting archery out of, because I, I, I don't, don't, don't know what it's made to shoot out of, but yeah, the, the, the one that we've been hunting out of for a while. Yeah, that old blind is, pretty is so cramped in there, and my quarters. knees get sore in that thing. And like, I remember at one point you and I were both sitting in there. I tried sitting dad with dad in that freaking blind, and I thought it was a good idea. And uh, bad idea, bad idea. But we got the upgraded blind now from Heights, that uh, Baronet Big Cat 350. 
and that thing's freaking luxurious in there, man. I had both my kids in there with me the other day, and there was more enough room to, to like, cart them around and draw my bow back. Um, I actually had an arrow knocked with them in the blind because uh, there was a buck coming in that I was going to shoot at it about 50 yards and just didn't present the proper shot for me. Um, but, uh, man, if you're interested in getting into a super comfy blind or, you know, getting some gear... I know Heights has a shit ton of shotgun shells now, and they're getting into the fire Ooh. firearm game pretty heavy too. So, um, and they got that that local shop knowledge and feel in there for sure to help you out. Um, head down to Heights Outdoors, and uh, they got every, everything you need. And they certainly, I think they're the only dealer of those uh, Baronet Big Cats in Manitoba too. So, man, that was a serious upgrade. I, it almost felt like we went from rags to riches in that one kind of swoop there we'll mm-hmm. say yeah and the fact that you were able to to hunt with two kids and almost plug a deer out of that thing like basically you would have got them if it wasn't for the shooting angle that you had is my understanding eh yeah definitely yeah yeah or you would have been letting an arrow fly at a very reasonable range um yeah. so i man it's just impressive that you could sit in a blind like that with two young spawn and uh <laughs> get get into range that effectively so it, it's uh turned me around on the, the whole blind hunting thing because i was looking pretty dismal there for a while but uh yeah i can't wait to get into the big cat man yeah the real win here for me is just the fact that i was able to get the boys out and they were pumped to be out there they were a little tough to to like maintain the mindset before we started seeing deer but once the deer started rolling in they were just, they were wound right up. They had the binos up. They were telling me to shoot deer. And the, <laughs> it was, it was a, Dax at one point was doing this like roller coaster thing with his hands when he gets pumped up. And Dax was pointing <laughs> out deer everywhere. So, oh man, big dad win right there. And uh, that- all thanks to the Baronet Big Cat that we got from Heights because there's no way I would have hauled him out to that other little blind, I don't think. What an awesome time too, because I I was I got to hook up with you after there, and I could just tell how excited the guys were there, and they they were they were having a blast, and that's that's something I I, I won't forget either. Just seeing how pumped up they were to be doing something with you like that outdoors. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so thanks to Heights for making it happen. Like Chase said, go check them out. Um, they also have an online store too. So if uh, if you're not uh, ready or able to make the trip at the time, check them out online and, uh, also give them a follow on social media. They're, they're amping it up. Yeah. Yeah. You got some great content coming out. I love it. And so what do you, what do you think here, Chase? Uh, we gotta, we're taking a bit of a different angle this time. eh? like, I, I'm, I'm curious. So I've been following Tyrone for a while and he's been doing some in the, the way we uh, process and think about our meat um you know starting to look at some of those more traditional methods and how we implement them and it it really got me thinking about you know how how do we do things as hunters on our end you know mm-hmm. how, how do we how do we engage in that sausage making process can we do stuff better or more uh in a more interesting way so i i was super happy that that he agreed to come on and uh yeah, we got we got into it. I would say the 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 finer details of sausage making and charcuterie, as they they say. 
Oh man. And um I'm gonna give him a shameless plug here for like the sausages that he's one of the items that is coming out when this podcast releases is this uh blueberry um white wine and what was the other ingredient in that sausage? Uh I'm not too sure, but you can tell me what you were thinking about the sausage or what you were excited about. Um, I'm excited because it's because he's launching it on Monday. So, which will be the day that this is launching. And, uh, I'm what, what I would love to do is like have him down and like maybe get like a sneak peek for people into actually how they can translate this into their own stuff. Oh yeah. Totally, man. Yeah, so I'm just on a site here, and he's got the, so this is Wilchinskis.com, and he's got the wild blueberry and fennel sausage. That you're there it is. Alluded. Yeah. Yeah, lamb, wild blueberry, and fennel, I think it was. Uh... And he's got some pretty deadly duck prosciutto as well there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and it, it was funny, because he was telling us, too, like some people are scared by the, the weight around the casing, which is technically mold. Um, but that's the good stuff. Yeah. That's that's what you want. Good, that's, for, your, uh, good for the gut too. Yeah. So uh, I, I don't want to give the whole podcast away, but if you haven't, check check out Wilchinskis.com. That's where you find all his amazing products. And if you uh, want to follow him online, you know, Wilchinskis, he's also on Instagram there. So be sure to check that out. But to get into the fine details here, Chase, you ready? What do you think? Should we dive in? Let's roll them. Okay. Sounds good. And uh, one more time, thanks for Tyrone for coming on the podcast. It was a fun one. We're back. Episode 96, sitting with Tyrone Wilchinski. Welcome to the show, Tyrone. Thanks for having me on the show. And we've been meaning to have you on. I think we've been working at it for, what, a couple months at least to to connect here. It's been in the wheelhouse for yeah, a few months now, I think. Yeah. Uh, we're glad to have you on and we're going to talk some, you know, a little shop around maybe butchering and uh, sausage making and, you know, some of that traditional pantry ware that that we see you have now. But before we get rolling deep into it, we, we typically ask our guests five burning questions to get a better sense of them. And there's nothing too complicated, but we're going to just throw a few. They can be, they're supposed to be rapid fire, but we typically land up going on a few tangents here and there. Ready for the five burning questions? Yeah, fire away. Yeah. If uh, if you weren't doing sausage making, what would you be doing right now? Well, I went to school to become a gym teacher. Oh yeah. And so I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, right out of right out of high school, I uh, went to U of M. Uh, I think it's a three year degree, so I spent five years doing that, and then took a seven year hiatus as I opened a couple restaurants and worked around the city yeah and then uh went back a few years ago and finished up that degree so maybe teaching but uh the more time i spend with kids the more i think i realize that's not what i want to do (laughs) (laughs) it's it's funny because i love um learning and teaching uh things i know in the kitchen but you're surrounded by people who want to learn when you're in the classroom not everybody not everyone there wants to learn and it's like pulling teeth sometimes or you're creating uncomfortable scenarios for kids who you know are going to be bullied or 
put it in an awkward position because you're setting this standard for everyone, right? Right. Was it, or maybe it was the standard issue gym shorts that were. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna be the one to bring back the standard issue gym shorts. <laughs> oh, that's good. Okay, uh, that that was a great answer, actually. So, and then moving on to the second question, what are you reading right now? Are you reading anything right now, or maybe podcasts or something? What are you What are you diving into? Oh, you know what? I'm reading uh, Inconvenient Indian right now. Oh yeah. Uh, so that book was given to me by my partner. I think probably uh, close to a year ago, and I'm just just finishing it up right now. Yeah. I've got a I got a stack of books too that are on the to read list that have not been touched. Um, how are you finding it? It's uh, I think it took me so long to read because it is so depressing. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of the issues that uh, I think we as we as Canadians think are issues of the past are you know very current issues. So it was uh, it's been an eye opener for sure. Very yeah. There's, there's there's as far as I understand, there's like you you mentioned we like to think of this this distant past, but there's, there's really no clean break between the past and w- what we're experiencing right now. It's all kind of a continuum of, uh, you know, what the Canadian history has been and what Canadians are now. Absolutely. And even, uh, you know, you, you'd think the government taking advantage, uh, you know, of certain, certain lands and things like that was, it's just, it's such re- recent history and it's still happening. It's yeah, unbelievable that we haven't learned from these lessons. Yeah. Yeah. So that's inconvenient Indian. Check that one out. Um, okay. Next question. You're, you're obviously a food person, but, uh, if you had a guilty pleasure for food, what, what would the guilty pleasure be? Um, I am a sucker for the Safeway. I don't want to like, you know, drop a favorite here, but Safeway or Sobeys or any co-op. Oh, Maybe co-op's my favorite, actually. I will name drop. <laughs> co-op, if you want to sponsor me. Yeah. <laughs> this is your opportunity. <laughs> but those roast chickens. Oh, yeah. That Those rotisserie chickens that have just been sitting under that heat lamp all day. Yeah. That's just, that's the guilty pleasure. That followed by McCain Deep and Delicious would be. Oh, yeah. The dream dinner. Have you ever crushed a roast chicken in your car right after exiting the grocery store? <laughs> I don't want the greasy hands on the wheel. <laughs> No, no, I, I I always hold off, but nice. that's, that's the guilty pleasure. We had a couple of those this weekend, eh, with Dad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are good. There, there's no way to kind of. I haven't found a way to replicate that because some. You're right. Something happens to that texture of that chicken there that it just comes out like it's. I don't know if it's been under that heat lamp for so long that it just breaks down into nothingness. Or There's what? something weird going on. It's got to be like a degree <laughs> or two just above the danger zone. Like <laughs> right in that sweet spot, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. This, this is a bit of a tougher one. Maybe. I don't know. What's your biggest fear? Do you have a biggest fear? Um, biggest fear, I guess, would just be... Well, I have a fear every week of putting something out there and yeah. nobody caring or nobody understanding and no one seeing the value in what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be my, the fear I face all the time. <laughs> that's good. I'm, I'm really excited to talk about that uh, coming up because you're, I can tell you're, you're diving, you're almost like merging this old school kind of uh, traditional culinary style with like a very like you got a vision. There's almost like this artistic vision to it in some ways too. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about that. Maybe not dive into it too deep right now. 
Last one, and I'm I'm curious too because I I heard a, a good rumble when you rolled up. Uh, I got a this is this is a two parter. Then what did you drive here, and is is that your dream vehicle, or do you have another dream vehicle? Oh, uh, it's the '68 Javelin. <laughs> nice. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I guess it's a dream. It's yeah. like a dream come true. It's a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah. It's a... it's fun when it starts. Yeah, <laughs> sounded pretty pretty sweet rolling in here. It's definitely very distinguishable when you when you pulled in the driveway. Yeah, it's distinguishable too when you hear me at eight a.m. cranking it over a hundred times to get the start. Yeah. <laughs> How's a cold start on that thing? Honestly, uh, this spring turned over second crank. Nice. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. That's awesome. Carbureted, I'm assuming all. Yeah. Yeah. Have to play around with that. Carburetor points. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, you made it through the five burners. That's awesome. I think that maybe not record time, but we did pretty good, I would say, eh, Chase? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so before we kind of hop into what you're doing right now in the culinary world, uh, maybe take us through like where you started and how you got there. Like you, you, you've, you've had quite the journey from what I can tell in, in the Winnipeg food scene and you've, uh, you've had some great feathers in your cap in a lot of ways. And now you're kind of emerging into, you know, your, your own space here with your, your name on the business. Right. So, right. I, I hang on. I, I want to take you one step back there too, before there we, we, we get into that. Um, just because I, I, I've now recently learned about this, uh, your education to become a gym teacher or a teacher. Right. And now phys now, ed, phys ed, they get really, phys some ed, of them get not, really upset gym if teacher. you gym teachers. Anyways, um, did you have any prior um, culinary education before we get into the restaurant industry? You know what? I learned everything I needed to know when I was 14 working at the Birds Hill Park concession stand. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, we're learning all kinds of gems here. <laughs> I just yeah. got ice cream there in the summer, that's, and I was a little like... That's where my wife used to work, too. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. What's her name? Uh, Jody. Yeah. I think she spent the summer there, so it could have been... I only remember <laughs> two people from that job. Okay. I remember uh, Crystal, who was a couple years older and had a huge crush on. Okay. Crystal, so, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and Hugh Chaput who was a few years older and just an awesome guy and nice. old school punk, like where the kilts had the, you know, three foot Mohawk dyed pink. And, no way. Yeah. That I was, when we were cruising around the parks this summer, I, I was talking to Carly and I was saying, that's one of my big regrets in life is when I was, you know, 16 or 15, I didn't go work some weird job in a in a park or some remote area where you just kind of either flip burgers and yeah (laughs) you know what i I grew up in oak bank hey okay yeah so your options are pretty limited to where you work right so i looked in the was it the springfield clipper oh yeah Mm -hmm. i think yeah yeah Yeah. and you you know before the internet you looked at your job listings jackpot and uh yeah hiring a fry cook so applied and had no other work experience being 14 that was my first job and you learned all your skills there <laughs> no <laughs> i think i knew less about food after that. <laughs> 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 
take it from the bag and put it in the fryer. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. I think that's one of those spots where the the freezer is, uh, you know, twice the size of the cooler. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. funny. And then, so where did where did you really start to cut your teeth then with the in the culinary world? Like, where did you start to get some traction? Do you feel? Well, that came. Uh, so I did two summers at the concession stand, um, which is honestly like a lot of fun when you're 14. I oh, remember totally. just wearing my swim trunks to, to work. And... <laughs> you could do that now though. I guess so. <laughs> Actually, I've come full circle. I'm back, I'm back to wearing my trunks to work again. <laughs> but um, after a couple of summers of that, um, my high school volleyball coach, uh, Matt Nesbitt. Oh, yeah. He um, was the banquet chef at Pine Ridge Hollow. Oh, nice. So he uh, asked me to come work there. So he, he, he had the, the experience from the Birds Hill Park. And <laughs> he basically... I guess, well, actually, actually, I think, you know, it was my neighbor. I think um, to go back a bit, it was my neighbor, Cindy, Cindy Goulet, who uh, did all the flowers and... Um, all the arrangements for the weddings at Pine Ridge Hollow. She's a beautiful florist. And um, she, I think she was the one who recommended me as a banquet server. Okay. So I went in for my orientation. And during my orientation, that's when Matt Nesbitt saw me there, my coach. Yeah. And he's like, oh, no, you're not serving. You're coming to work in the kitchen with me. <laughs> and I pretty much decided the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. That one day. Yeah. That's wild. And so you, you moved like two blocks down from the concession stand to Pine Ridge Hollow. Exactly. That's when I knew I'd made it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is, yeah, both great restaurants, by the way. And uh, you, you started cooking there. Um, I'm curious just from the volleyball perspective because knowing most volleyball co- Did he have you like doing drills in the kitchen on, on your breaks or anything like that? or? No, we just had fun in the kitchen. Okay. Yeah, yeah he's a great guy. It was a really small team. And we would just hammer out, you know, you know, three weddings a week. And then, uh, you know, I was I was interested in it and I was hungry to learn. So I would pick up shifts in the restaurant side. And at the time, there was a very, uh, very talented young chef, Peter, Th- Peter Thiessen, who um, had gone to culinary um, in Victoria. And he was on uh, that, what was the name of that TV show? Canada's Next Great Chef or something like oh, that. Okay. But he was the finalist for Saskatchewan, and man, he was such a talented cook. Ironically, we crossed paths later in life because when I was first going to school, he was getting out of cooking and went into physiotherapy. Hmm. So you you met back at the U of M. (laughs) Met back at the U of M. Um, I was getting more into cooking this whole time, and he was Mm -hmm. going the opposite direction. Athletic therapy or physio in that field. Yeah. So we had a lot of classes together. Oh, that's funny. And then so you were at Pine Ridge for a while. Was that kind of your aha moment? Like this is something I could see myself doing or like what was the uh, – what how what did Pine Ridge give you there, do you think? I think it was um, just the interaction you could have with everyone. I didn't feel like you could have that work environment anywhere else, but I didn't know shit and I was – 16 17 like what do you know when you're yeah what do you know when you're 16 so and then so coming did you work at pine ridge while you're going to school then or did you you step back from the food world a little yeah i I worked at pine ridge for a few years um and then when i went to 
school, I think there was only one year where I did school full time. I was on the track team as well, so it was you know a big time commitment. There wasn't much time to to cook in the first couple of years, but I was always picking up shifts, different restaurants here and there, cooking whenever I could. Mm-hmm. Also, you need to make money. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, school's not free. And kitchens are always hiring. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. So after phys ed didn't work out, obviously, or phys ed wasn't your your jam. Yeah, I'd say it was a combination of not working out and just seeing everyone around me who was so passionate and so much better at it <laughs> than I was. I just felt like a fish out of water. Yeah. And then when I was back in the kitchen, you know, you're with like-minded people and you're way more comfortable in that mm-hmm. in that position, right? And so what was your next step then out of that? Like, where were you headed? Uh, you know, I also worked for the, the city for a number of years, yeah. do, doing construction during the day. You and Chase there. Yeah, with construction during the day, North Yard, and then uh, cooking in the evenings. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. I was, uh, I think, what was I, South Yard? I was oh. down in St. Patel. So. South Yard? Yeah. What years? Oh, man. You were young. Yeah, that would have been 07. You'd, you would know my old man then, Ken Walchinski. Ken district supervisor for south yard maybe maybe i i was i worked there for one summer okay you <laughs> like, wouldn't yeah, i guess if you if you stay out of trouble then you don't know uh, <laughs> then you don't know my old man that's funny yeah small world though we're small winnipeg and then like i well we know each other from the volleyball world a little bit but then like i started to follow your career um i noticed when you you were big on the inception of King and Bannantine as a, you know, the sandwich shop there. And uh, was that like your first kind of like lead in or? It, it's funny. Like every time that I've told myself and told others, like, oh, I'm done with cooking. I'm getting out of the kitchen. I'm, you know, burnt out. Don't want to do this. Or I just don't see a future in it. There's something that has pulled me in. And, um, I didn't know I didn't know Mike uh, Delbano too well at the time. Who's the um, owner of King of Manhattan, who who founded the business? And uh, I just got a call out of the blue, and we met up. Told me his idea, and it was it was something that I had talked about doing for years, and it was just serendipitous that he wanted to do you know a takeaway sandwich shop slow roasted meats you know focus on quality where we source the ingredients from um you know and and it it's just funny how it worked out that way i was just so on board and you know i was it was i was at the point where i was ready to to do something i i've always wanted to take a creative direction um and this was my opportunity to do that yeah and i've i've had the food there and it's absolutely like i can see that that vision really came together well for for that crew well he 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 was the vision like he had a very clear idea of what he had in mind and what he wanted to do and yeah i think just needed needed a hand executing it he couldn't do it all and he does so many things well that yeah yeah just needed someone to lean on and lucky for me i was that guy awesome yeah and i i can't i can't imagine like his uh Chase and I joke once in a while that we should like start a 
a bourbon and barbecue joint somewhere, but I, I know that I would just be terrible at like the, the management financial side of the actual business. So like that, that's gotta be a huge part of the, the restaurant. It, like, Oh yeah. Like, I mean, I just opened a business. I know nothing about business. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. I just know how to make salami. I don't know the other parts of it. Yeah. I, I think the terrifying part for me thinking about that idea is like, yeah, that'd be awesome to, to open up a restaurant and like, let's do this, let's do that, all these ideas. But like, there's so many parts to make that come together, I feel like, you know. It's funny, the longer you work in the restaurant industry, it, I feel like <laughs> the less enthusiastic you are about owning a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> You're just kind of stuck with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds it's like tough. It's tough. It's, you know, it's a, it can be a tough life. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it's kind of like the don't turn in the gym teacher of the the restaurant industry. <laughs> yeah, when 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 you're in the restaurant in, industry, it is like uh, a lifestyle that you choose, right? It's not just a job. It's it's a lifestyle that you're. It is, yeah, and it's, it's I mean, it's every weekend, every weekend, every evening. Yeah, um, it's you know, twelve to fourteen hours every day, right? Food and entertainment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're working while your friends and family are out enjoying. Yeah. Yeah. Thanksgiving dinner, that kind of thing. You miss a lot. You don't realize what you're missing. It is, I mean, the pandemic I think has shown a lot of people what, uh, what they've been missing because a lot of places are really hurting to get their staff back. Yeah. 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 I guess that's the, the whole other side of it too, right? Cause it's, everything's kind of hit the, the reset switch in a lot of ways with, uh, with that folks have been away. they, works look different for so many people and it it is and and, i mean working in the kitchen during covid um just all of the all of the joy and all of the reasons for doing that job just disappeared Mm -hmm. you know it was just you were just a zombie going in putting food in takeout containers seeing Mm -hmm. it go yeah and i guess that's uh i mean that that's what would really attract me to uh uh barbecue and bourbon joint is just seeing that like vibrant customer appreciation of what you're putting out there i guess you would really lose touch with a lot of that eh? with the the way covid's been you do and it's not even not having guests at your restaurant it's uh not having staff yeah (laughs) you know you're literally there alone oh man right you're there from open till close you're doing your own dishes at the end of the night like it's it's depressing You feel like a little like just cooking robot, I guess. Oh, yeah. And you know what? Like I, I've been out of it now for, you know, maybe I think it's been nine months now. And, you know, I have friends who are obviously still cooking and running restaurants. And I feel for them because it's just been one thing after another. Yeah. So you you transitioned over to Nonsuch, I saw, which is another Winnipeg eatery with a brewery, actually, technically Um, did some interesting work there. Um, maybe we don't need to chat about everything too in depth, but I'm wondering, did you like kind of take something with you from each one of these, these places that you kind of integrated into your game here? Would would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think everywhere you go, you learn and you grow. I always try to take a little time off to travel and cook abroad and, you know, eat abroad. And, um, I think the most important things I learned were how to manage your time and how to manage people. Um, and so, I mean, you work for some work with and work for some terrible people and you, 
learn uh, some very unsavory habits that you want to avoid and you work mm. for some great great folks and you try to pick up on their habits as well right yeah i i, I that's there's a lot of truth there because i can think about some of my work experiences and i can say i've maybe learned equally from my poor managers and my right my, my good yeah. managers and i'm like oh yeah that's something i well there there were days where uh i won't say where it was or who it was but i would you know be holding back tears on my drive home and get home and just you know when you're when you're trying to do your best and it's still you know it doesn't meet the mark or you're, it's not being appreciated like you just want to cry like you, you feel so defeated yeah and so when you feel that you just never want to make someone else feel that way yeah mm-hmm. and on top of that you kind of mentioned like kitchen burnout earlier like um and yet you keep coming back to to cooking and or like the food and uh service industry like what's what do you think is driving that i just love to eat <laughs> <laughs> that's the truth eh like that's all it is yeah <laughs> i just love food you know? yeah i think about it all the time yeah. and you know with the, with the changing seasons in particular like i get so excited when i know that certain veggies are coming out of the ground or you know are ripe to pick and totally you know right now mushrooms are exploding yeah we got that rain too it's the first like there was nothing for such a long time it was dry yeah yeah and then well and i you're friends with will and will bergman and josh and all those guys i must i i believe yeah i worked on will's uh csa for a summer oh did you (laughs) yeah probably did the shittest job (laughs) (laughs) uh i joke about it now like every year since where i've gone in his garden to pick or he's given me the tour it looks so much better than the (laughs) the year i worked there and i was not prepared for that's tough work how much work that would be Mm -hmm. yeah and and it it definitely changed my perspective as a cook you know i was guilty of being the one who went to the farmer's market near the end of the day and said hey that you know crate of beets there that you didn't sell today you know I'll buy them for so-and-so. Yeah. You know, now I feel like a dick because I know how much work went into growing those. Mm-hmm. Now I'm like the first in line to get, you know, that product. Yeah. I did a little looking into uh, doing a CSA and it's a lot of work and it, <laughs> there's not a lot of profit in in it. Like, yeah. I, I imagine Will has a, has a good angle on it because he has a lot of the tools and you know, the farm stuff accessible. Well, yeah, Will, Will is great because he, and like, he's one of the most interesting fellows to talk to because he sees both sides of farming. He, he's got the small organic CSA and he has the large scale Mm -hmm. grain farming, Mm -hmm. you know? So he's got great arguments for both sides, right? Usually I shouldn't say usually, but a lot of farmers, you know, do one or the other and, you know, have just the one perspective. Mm-hmm. yeah we chatted with him about that too it was interesting to see him hop on both sides of the fence quite effortlessly in so many ways right sometimes it seems like he's playing devil's advocate but he <laughs> should <laughs> yeah totally he's living both lives yeah. it's pretty wild and chase was saying like some of these mushrooms that they're picking which ones chase oh man uh Josh was telling me today some some mushrooms he was picking are worth like a thousand bucks a pound. A thousand a pound? I don't know which ones of those. Are. There's that um, 
Masutake. Masutake, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are those are pricey. I I just got a bunch of lobsters from from Will. I'm doing like um this very like old school lobster preserve. Yeah, and then uh, had some leftover ones, so I made a a pate with them, like a lobster terrine with with bacon and oh wow, and uh, pork belly and pork liver, which no one buys. Oh, I did yeah, see that really? on the website. Yeah, no I, one, no one buys the pates. They're, they're a handful of people. Yeah, yeah, but you know, it's it's one of those things that has an expiry date. And so, near the end of its expiry date, I end up just giving them away. Like, it's it's <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> things like the things that I'm excited about the most in the shop mm. are the things that people could not care less about. It seems. Well, if it, if it's any console, I, I was cruising through the store. Because you recently did a post on your Instagram saying stores back in stock, everything's in stock, get it while it's while it's in. And I was, uh, I seen the pate, and I was like, whoa, yeah, jump on that this? pate because it's a hot seller. <laughs> Make sure you get, maybe get a dozen or so because uh, they're not going to be around for long. Yeah, it's funny. Like, um, yeah, the pates, um, uh, even the the enduia. I think it's it's. It's the things that I'm most excited about, the things I find the most delicious that maybe are a little different. People have their reservations about. I think I have like home runs sometimes. Like I made a beautiful uh, foie gras torchon and I don't use foie very often. And I brought some in for an event and uh, figured, oh, you know, this is nice stuff. Do a torchon and sold it at cost. So I'm not making a dime off it. It did not sell. It hmm. just sat in the shop. No kidding. What's a torchon? Uh, so a torchon is, so foie gras is um, fattened uh, goose liver. This was mm -hmm. duck liver, but um, it's cured. And then torchon means just to wrap it in a cloth and cure it in that cloth. Mm. So it makes almost like a torpedo shaped um, lobe of foie gras that you can slice into these nice coins. Um, so you, cure it, season it, wrap it in that cloth, and then I bury it in salt for, you know, three or four days until it's been cured and, uh, you know, has the right right amount of seasoning for my taste. And then you unwrap it, brush all that extra salt off and serve it that way. It's it's delicious. Yeah. Not not for an everyday or all the time kind of thing. But, <laughs> but you know, once or twice a year, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a nice treat. But so I always find difficult to communicate how, how do you communicate how tasty something is like hey fucking try this it's delicious trust me like <laughs> yeah. you know yeah that that sounds kind of like me trying to buy wine sometimes when i'm shopping in the lc and i'm looking at the back of this wine bottle and it's just like explosions of chestnut and and i'm just like i know how's it gonna explode tell me like i'm just not i'm not buying it like i don't I, i'm not sure how the, what the language needs to be on that thing but it's uh i can see how the communication could be difficult on right so i, I guess i'm i try to build that trust mm -hmm. you know where if i go to the wine store i ask the wine guy yeah <laughs> you know yeah so someone's coming to the shop like i hope that they would trust the salami guy yeah, totally. So we're getting into it now, and maybe like just to to reel it back a second, um, 
you're owner operator here of uh, Wilchenskis, and you, you call yourself the salami guy. But can you tell us what the what the vision here is? What the where where did Wilchenskis come from, and like what are you trying to accomplish here? So there are a few restaurants in Winnipeg who offer charcuterie and do you know in-house cured meats and salamis, but there is there are very few options, if any, in town to purchase. Um, old school fermented dry cured salamis and meats. Um, so there's a big void to fill, I think. And I guess I just wanted to, um, yeah, be able to offer these meats to people where you would only be able to get in the restaurant. Now you can purchase these meats yourself and make a board at home, Mm -hmm. which I always found interesting too. Like making the boards is like, half of the fun like picking out mm-hmm. your things deciding what you're going to have on it you know it's great to be served and have that stuff done for you sometimes on occasion but just to have a few things in your fridge at all times like you know two three times a week we don't know what the hell to eat oh they just grab a couple salamis and slice them up a piece of cheese and have some crackers and that usually fits the bill right mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's that, awesome that's good eats man yeah i i remember when you were starting out with it you were starting at non-such with some of that is that correct Right. Yeah. Yeah. We, and you had like a little beer fridge that you had converted into like a. <laughs> yeah. Actually, they were the beer fridges, uh, the bar fridges left over, uh, left behind by Peg Beer Company that just drilled the holes in and converted them into dry carrying fridges. Yeah. So we ran. That's wild. Ran charcuterie there and, you know, did some pretty fun things. We yeah. had, uh, I had ham, uh, a ham curing for 18 months. Um, so that was really delicious, <laughs> I mean, as you can imagine. And I don't know. It, what what does that entail? Like, t- what, 18 months? 18 months. So that's 18 months of drying after the month and a half of hands-on time with it. So it's, you know, pulling the ham, pulling the leg off of the pig, and then um, rubbing it down with salt every day, getting it every nook and cranny, turning it every day. Um, and then after about a month and a half, rinsing all that salt off, getting a nice clean surface and then hanging that for about six months, uh, just in a regular refrigerator to dry and then transferring it over, uh, sealing up, transferring it to the drying chamber, uh, sealing up all the exposed surfaces with, uh, Cigna, which is, uh, like a fat and flour mixture. Uh, I use rice flour. So, um. you know, my mom's celiac, so I always try to make everything gluten-free if I can. And, uh, yeah, that just chills out there for a year, losing weight, losing Jeez. moisture. That's an investment, and man. What, what's incri- Well, I guess I should have touched on, too, that there, when you go to most butcher shops um, and delis, you have no idea where the hell your meat's coming from. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's super important for me to be able to communicate to people, here's the farmer, he, like, comes and drops off pigs. This is, you know, the feed that he grows for these animals. This is why they taste so good. They're happy animals. Mm-hmm. You know, they're free range. They eat grass. They live, you know, a uh, pretty pretty normal, like, pig's life. Yeah. <laughs> happy pig. Happy pig. Yeah. Yeah. So, what's ex- what's exciting to me about the prosciutto is that you really are tasting the nuances of what this pig's diet was during his life and how this pig lived. And now that I'm, you know, um, 
wrist deep and butchering um, every week, you get to you you learn what the pig's diet and lifestyle has been based on what color is the meat, mm-hmm. how does the meat smell, how thick is the fat cap. It's very interesting. Hmm. So do you um, you process your own pigs, obviously? Yeah. And um, how does that process go for you? Is like some weeks, does everything just go into a salami or are you saving certain cuts like for a prosciutto like, like you do? Is that is that like a weekly thing or is that like how what's, – what's an average week for you butchering a pig and, and processing it? So depending on the pig – there are some some cuts that I will get off a pig that I like cannot resist doing something special with. I'll get a copa, which is you know the neck off the shoulder. That will have like such perfect marbling, and I'll be like, "Well, I'm gonna make copa out of this. I'm gonna cure this as a whole muscle. I'm not I'm not in my right mind going to grind this down for salami, you know." Or you'll get a loin that has such a beautiful fat to lean meat ratio. It's like a no-brainer that you're going to make lonza. You know, um, same goes for pork belly. If I get pork belly that's got um, a really nice marbling and ratio, then I'll put that stuff aside. I'll make pancetta or I'll smoke bacon. Um, And then pork belly that's a little fattier, you know, that doesn't have that much um, lean meat marbling through it. That's stuff I'll set aside for enduya or for the terrines or the pates so everything has its purpose and if i'm lucky i'll get heads every now and then and do something with those interesting and so is pork like the main like the main protein you'd be working with is that fair to say pork is yeah pork's the main one and uh sourcing from three different farms right now for pork uh main farm is uh zin farms so I get most of my pork from Andreas. He's got heritage Berkshire hogs. Uh, he's a firm believer in regenerative farming practices. Um, so not only um, is he supplying us with delicious meat, but he's also providing better nutrients for those pigs uh, when they are fertilizing the soil and creating better grass. And, you know, this... Working on this whole ecosystem, I know I'm mm-hmm. probably butchering his whole process here, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Andreas, yeah, his main supplier. Uh, I've been doing salamis for Dogs Run Farm. Um, Katie and Colin are are uh, are really great to work with. They've been doing special orders and then selling the salamis out of their booth at the farmers market, and. Uh, just got a whole uh, hog from Matheson Farm, so it was my first pig from them, and it was a beast. Like, <laughs> it was a big pig, uh, one of the fattiest pigs I think I've ever huh. ever had. But great meat, and uh, I just finished a batch of lamb salami from uh, Fiola Farms. Hmm. Yeah, that's wild. Can you? So you got a few different options there, but can you take us through like maybe the the basics of the the dry curing process and like what that looks like? Because you've that's what really piqued my interest when I was watching some of your content was like, hey, this is this is something new as you identified. Not a lot of people are doing this, but like that to me, it seems it's there's there's some tradition there as well too, right? That's uh, well, that's a funny thing because it's not new at all. Yeah. 
but it's new to i think uh what are we like third wave cooks <laughs> i'm not sure yeah, are, we, yeah. are we the equivalent of like third wave coffee or yeah so I, correct me if i'm wrong but i feel like there's like a reemergence of this like yeah and it's been happening for it's not it's been happening for a long time like yeah you know a couple couple decades i think is when the charcuterie craze hit North yeah america and I, I've heard you described, and uh, maybe I don't want to pump you up too much here, but as like the best charcuterie um, butcher chef in in Western Canada. So one of my friends described you that way. But so I'm 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 not saying it lightly, but I, I'd love to see the. I can safely say that I'm not <laughs> the best uh, charcutier in uh, yeah in Western Canada. There's. Uh, I mean, there are lots of great, uh, uh, great butchers and charcuteries. Uh, Tristan Foucault being uh, one of the great ones in in Winnipeg at uh, Preservation Hall. Okay. Um, but there's also um, a fellow by the name of uh, Will out in uh, Edmonton from uh, Muleys. If you're on Instagram, follow Secret Meat Club. This guy is like a professor of meats. Like, interesting. The, he understands the so many nuances and i learned so much from just chatting with him cool um this past week we were actually uh chatting because he had posted a i believe it was a norwegian method of making bacon where he created a brine um using only pig's heads so he used the natural bacteria that occurs in pigs throats and nasal cavities to acidify water to be able to brine bacon in. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Blew wow. my mind. Wow. So that that's really like when you think, like I was struck when I was watching that Seth Rogen movie and he was making pickles just with rainwater and salt. <laughs> but, <laughs> that's all that's in my pickles. Yeah. <laughs> rainwater? <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it's not rainwater. <laughs> but it's, it's water and salt. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, and yeah, we can chat about pickles too because I love pickles. But uh, it's uh, this is one that's that's one step further. Even though like he just used straight pig and the it, it's uh, did he use water? I'm guessing he used water. Yeah, you know it, it's it's funny because what what I do in the kitchen is very highly regulated. Um, because there is during fermentation, your meat is in the danger zone for you know two to three days which you're not supposed to have anything on the counter for more than an hour in that mm-hmm. in that temperature range. But it's basically a race against time where you have, I'll simplify by saying you have good bacteria and you have bad bacteria. Mm. You are intentionally adding good bacteria to your ground meat before you case it. And then you introduce your cased salamis into a very humid and warm environment. So basically in the environment that would encourage spoilage. So what that does is encourages the healthy bacteria to multiply and inoculate your salami. And it's a race against time for that good bacteria to defeat any bad bacteria. Hmm. So that bacteria is going to consume sugars, which is going to create um, acid, Mm -hmm. which is going to lower the pH of the salami. Mm -hmm. So then you're trying to achieve a low enough pH where certain negative bacteria cannot survive in that environment. 
And then you get to a point where you're trying to hit a certain pH because of the flavor profile that's going to be achieved from that. You know, too yeah. acidic. Sometimes some salamis I find are a little too sour or whatever. Yeah. I like mine more on the, you know, on the basic side. Okay. So it's basically like the bacteria war and uh, you're you're helping the one side along as best you can. Through That's it. That's yeah. all it is. Do you think it kind of like fell out of popularity because the food, I find like a lot of some traditional techniques kind of fell by the wayside because we got so into like either um, food safety and food handling, which uh, is... Like- I'm sure our parents' traditional technique of cooking pork chops till they're gray. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can't have a hint of pink in pork because you'll get uh, what trichinosis, trichinosis and die. Yeah. yeah um, the last case of trichinosis was what, in the 80s? No. Yeah. Chase has probably been close to trichinosis scare too. Yeah. Like, but that, that not from, not from farm stuff. Yeah. Not from farm yeah. stuff. Yeah. And tri- trichinosis is maybe more common in the pigs that I source. Right. Yeah. Only because, you know, they're not being fed antibiotics. You know, there's nothing artificial going into their diet. Mm-hmm. Um, but any pork, I believe if it's frozen for a couple of months kills any traces of trichinosis. Well, I can't imagine that curing process would be too easy on the, the trichinosis either. No. And like, so the acidification is the first, um, doing air quotes here, but kill step. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, bringing your meat up to 160 degrees or whatever. Um, but the second kill step is water activity. And so after fermentation, you know, your salamis get transferred to uh, a drying chamber. So still a slightly more humid environment um, and a lower temperature than what you had for our fermentation. And then your salamis, depending on the diameter of your casing, will hang out there from, you know, four to, you know, 12, 16 weeks, losing moisture gradually. And, uh, I mean, without water, uh, bacteria can't survive and multiply. Interesting. There's a lot more steps to this, uh, this dry curing method than I, than I initially imagined. Because I, I did some duck prosciutto once upon a time. <laughs> And I basically just hung it from my rafters in the fall and uh, and sliced it a, a month later, and it uh, it didn't kill me, I'll say that much. But it was, it was salted and cured, and uh, yeah, it didn't kill me though. <laughs> stronger for it, yeah, stronger for it. But yeah, so like, what what are if you had to break down the steps really like simply here, like what what would be the steps like from getting that we'll say the pig processed and into the into you mix all your meat together and now you have a case sausage right What's yeah that? well even even when you're butchering the animal you have to be very thoughtful with how you're butchering it um you want very lean meat you know i keep all my um all my back fat separate from my lean meat okay. so i know the exact percentage of what i have in each so different salamis depending on the texture i want it to be or the fat content you know which i'm tweaking all the time mm-hmm. like if you had a salami for me a month ago it's going to be different from what you have today hmm. so it's like a yeah <laughs> very like um individual experience every time you're kind of getting a 
very unique experience every time you're you're ordering something from it's a unique experience and also the culture that i inoculate with and i've cultivated now is going that that fauna is going to be completely unique to my environment Mm -hmm. so nowhere in the world can you get a salami that tastes like the salami i make or the salami that tristan makes or brent over at hearth yeah so when you're talking about culture you're talking about the bacteria that's that you're inoculating yeah. right and then uh you initially like i initially inoculate my drying chamber with the exterior culture that's the white mold you see uh which is like a you know a penicillium uh mold and that that bloom uh slows down the drying process which uh, i think gives them um you know a more complex flavor um but on top of slowing it down, it's also protecting from anything else getting into that salami. Mm-hmm. I forget where I was going with this. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. I do that all the time. I'm I'm getting a little concerned here, though. I'm going to ask a question that I'm scared to to hear the answer about because uh, we we've had you on the podcast here for for a few reasons, but one of them is like I was really excited about the emergence of uh, the dry carrying coming back. It, do you think it's realistic, like? that outdoors folks could start looking at this as a reasonable option for how they process some of their meat? Or do you think? Well, I I think so because we think of dry curing and salami as a European tradition and it's not strictly a European tradition. You know, indigenous peoples have been doing that, you know, way before (laughs) we were ever here. And uh, it's the reason that we've survived, you know, as a species. Yeah our ability to store food and save food over long periods of time using these traditional practices, you know, u- using, uh, using different temperatures and uh, salts and, you know, all these traditional methods. So, I, I mean, uh, for instance, Josh has been, you know, begging deers mm-hmm. and we're going to do some prosciutto using the whole legs from the deer. Oh, that's awesome. Really excited about it. That's wicked. But I think I think right now, uh, like I'm not a hunter myself. Okay. But when I visit hunters, their freezers are filled with meat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when I see all that stuff just sitting in the freezer deteriorating when it could be sitting, hanging in a chamber, yeah. just becoming more delicious by the day. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to... That's an amazing perspective. I've, I've never <laughs> thought about that before, and, and like I'm, I'm kind of guilty of that right now because I got some like some venison sitting in the freezer yeah. and some cuts. And I'm you just see, man. Like, oh man, what should I do with that? And oh, and like, deer is one of my favorite meats to work with. It's just yeah, it's, it's delicious. I've noticed you've got your hands on venison once in a while and done some like what do you what what do you like to do? Because like pork is a very different meat than from venison, right? Like what 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 do you do with like you got prosciutto with the whole leg there that you mentioned, but like yeah, I mean ground ground up, it's extremely lean, right? So yeah. you would add add pork fat, mm-hmm. uh, which changes the flavor slightly, but it's still going to taste like like deer. Yeah, it's um, yeah. I mean, I've made uh, venison salamis a few times, but. Um, just under the radar from the oh. inspectors. <laughs> it, it, yeah, which is also one of my big gripes is that we're not, a, as as cooks, we're not able to source any, um, like for your um, wild game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, Newfoundland, someone brings you a, uh, brings you a moose. Yeah, throw it in the fridge. You're like, we'll use it. 
I like to meet that person that's bringing you moose, but <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I've a, I have a friend uh, who cooks at Mallard Cottage in Newfoundland, and you wouldn't believe the stuff that comes through oh, their door. Man, that's cool. I uh, it, and it's curious to me because I've I've seen you use mushrooms too, like wild mushrooms in for sale, and which is also a big no no. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I was going to say, how are you selling mushrooms and you can't, guy can't even have a little slab of venison on the table, but yeah. Yeah. They, they don't like any of that. Oh, okay, they yeah. just really don't like everything I'm doing. Cause it's not, <laughs> it's not regulated is what they're worried about or. No. And I mean, understandably so. Like I, uh, foraged mushrooms with my partner this past weekend. We did a little canoe trip and yeah. We both got violently ill. (laughs) (laughs) What happened there? Yeah, we were talking about that. They were, uh, when I first uh, saw them, I thought they were porcini, like very young porcini. They were uh, orange birch beliefs, also delicious. They're like pretty similar to porcini in flavor profile, I find. And, uh, you know, like roasted them over a fire and they're they're, they're edible. (laughs) They were delicious. Yeah. But maybe I undercooked them. I don't know. We were both. <laughs> Actually, Bree was very sick for hours. And then I thought, well, I guess you just have an allergy to them. You know? how, did, <laughs> how, would we, how would we have known that you have an allergy to orange birch bolides? <laughs> Thinking like, oh, I'm, you know, so hearty. And, yeah. You know, 10 hours later, I was just as sick oh no <laughs> just hit me later yeah huh what kind of symptoms do you if you if they're not too personal oh just throwing up relentlessly oh <laughs> and we were stuck on an island like a two-hour paddle from shore oh man and uh and funny enough because everyone has mushrooms right now the next morning i check my phone and it's like four messages from different people like photos of mushrooms i've got porcini i've got lobster you want to buy i'm like oh fuck off i don't want any i don't want any mushrooms <laughs> so that's like um obviously there's lots of different mushrooms that you can find in the woods but this was more of um like lots of the mushrooms that you get obviously you have to cook to to um, change the the chemical structure in them to make right. them more edible and, for and humans, right? And we'd eaten these mushrooms before, so we knew they were edible, and we knew we wouldn't yeah. be ill from them, but uh, maybe the way we cooked them just over the fire, being careless, mm-hmm. drinking, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes that happens. But in uh, in the def- my defense of mushrooms and, and these, you know, foraging and these practices, that's the worst that could happen. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a lot of, uh, I mean, there's a few mushrooms that could like really wreck you pretty good, maybe kill you. But from the right. most of yeah. the research no. I find is like most are toxic. Right. If you identify a mushroom and you're pretty darn sure that that's an edible mushroom, probably the worst thing that's going to happen to you is you get as sick as I was, <laughs> <laughs> which honestly isn't so bad. Yeah. Could if happen you think with... about how often we drink till we feel that way like <laughs> mushrooms deserve their fair share every now and then <laughs> we're we're planning a moose trip right now and my my standard of safety has been shifting rapidly thinking about the moose because we're going to be quite remote for this mm-hmm. and i'm thinking about like man not only like if we if we break a leg we're in big trouble but even even getting like diarrhea out there you could be in trouble after a couple of days, I would say, if it didn't clear up on you. You know what I'm saying, Chase? Yeah. 
because like we we're not going to have ready access to to transportation out of there so get to the chopper get to the chopper we'd be calling stars i think eh? at that point in time something like that somebody yeah have you been that far out kind of or are you pretty no i've got a pretty tricky uh stomach so i can't go uh too far without the risk of mud butt (laughs) (laughs) that's fair yeah and admittedly this this might be the furthest i've been out i'd chase you've been in a chopper a few times so you've probably been a little further out but yeah it's really changed my concept of what's safe and what's you know a little bit more risky i know i watched alone for the first time this year (laughs) (laughs) really got me thinking different about things oh man yeah that's wild um i'm wondering too like so we we've hinted at to how like some of these old things are are coming new again but like what where do you where do you see all this going like the the dry curing and we're we're looking at like i'm fermenting some hot sauce in my basement right now i've got fermented pickles going too i've noticed i saw that yeah, yeah. you've got some too um like this is coming back and people are taking fermentation seriously now it seems like or like it or like it's Everyone's running sourdough too over over the pen. Right. Yeah. Well, I think yeah, I think maybe people have a little bit more time than they did pre yeah, yeah, yeah. pre pandemic. Uh, a little more home time. A little more home time to take on these projects, and I think we're at the generation too where if we don't start doing these things, we're gener one generation away from losing it. Yeah. You know, like the pickles I'm doing are the closest thing I could. After, you know, a, a few practice runs, the closest pickles I could achieve to my Baba's pickles because I didn't learn from her. You know, I call them my Baba's pickles because they taste very similar from what I can remember. But, yeah. you know, her her recipe was like, I'm weighing everything out with like a, you know, a little weed scale or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, getting the grams just right for my salt and everything. Hers was just like a five finger pinch of salt. <laughs> yeah. Fill it up, throw it in the basement. Nah, they're good. <laughs> That's wild. I've been I've been uh kind of diving into the fermentation stuff for a few years now. And um I haven't done it for probably about a year, maybe maybe like eight months now, but um through the um the journey and researching and stuff, you hear stories like that about like like I was trying to make sauerkraut and sauerkraut was like an easy thing to make. And, and right. uh, I had a few kind of go bad on me, go moldy or whatever. I'm like, oh, just, and it, it pisses me off because, you know, you got some time invested in this and you're, you just do it. Just mold and, on the top layer? Yeah. You just scrape that off and you Oh good. man, everybody says, don't do it. You don't know how deep those roots are and you're going to get sick. But then I hear these <laughs> stories. Yeah. Yeah. You can't see, but I'm rolling my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, then you hear these stories about, like like you said, kind of like Grandma's Brian, who had like a freaking crock of sauerkraut, and they would just add to well, it and throw apples in there and all the, kinds of stuff. Here's the thing. Once that mold goes below the surface of your brine, think about like the salinity of your brine. If it's like 2 3% or whatever, mm-hmm. do you think that mold's going to continue to survive? Yeah, it's true. I've scraped, I've scraped quite a bit off. And yeah. As long as the mold is you've eaten, white, you've, you've eaten that jar. White. So. <laughs> as long as the mold is you know healthy white or green, yellow, blue, that's all fine. Just red or black, send it back. That's red or black. That's the rules. So red Perfect. or black, throw it out. That might be a t-shirt. discard everything and uh, sanitize it. And <laughs> yeah. Start from zero. Yeah. 
Um, I'm, I'm curious about uh, you. You've obviously made uh, um, anchored yourself in Winnipeg here as um, you know, being a caring chef, cook, um, artist. I guess you could say, in some sense. But do you have any? Uh, inclination to get into like some smoke meats or anything like that as well or is that my <laughs> i do some smoke stuff uh like i make bacon yeah uh, but right. right now i'm just using it to wrap my uh pates and terrines um and i make i do hot rods you know yeah. which are smoked i've had those but, those are awesome but my my smoker is so small so damn small that i can smoke five packs of hot rods yeah, at yeah. time that's where we're at too. What yeah. what are you running for a smoker? Um, whatever the cheapest one was at Canadian Tire yeah. the day I went to pick one up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, because I'm working indoors as well, so it needed to be electric, small enough to fit under the hood system. Okay, yeah. Um, and because I'm only able to do that amount, I just haven't even done them for the last two months. I think it's just it's extremely time consuming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One so, day though. It'd be so nice to have that chamber. You can just wheel a whole uh, speed rack in there, and oh yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll I'll sidebar onto. We were in another operation here. We and uh, it was wild to see the smoking process there because uh, well, it's Danny Danny's whole hog. We were behind the, the scenes there, and his uh, his smoker is basically like a huge convection oven in some sense. That is like got multiple racks in it and he just has a side chamber for one log that he puts in the side and he says that's that's my one oak log i put in the side and he smokes everything through that like giant wow. that's yeah. efficient it's yeah. super efficient i was shocked at how efficient that was yeah. and like it's all digital so you can control yeah. like so you, like, even my cold smoking setup for the induya yeah you can't get above uh 90 degrees or the fat will begin to render Cold smoke is so hard, man. So I have a pie pan with my wood chips on a flat top. And then I took apart some aluminum to-go containers and made like makeshift ducting. Yeah. And have it like traveling across <laughs> the room <laughs> into my box. Yeah. <laughs> and that's my smoking setup. You, you, and you got it that is, to work, eh? It, it works great. It's, that's awesome. Uh, I have to set it up every time or else yeah. it's in the way, but yeah, it works. I, I know what you're saying though. Cause like even smoking our stuff, like it, uh, I always love it after, but it's, it's work. It's, it's a lot of, you got to hang everything in there and then sausages are falling. Yeah. We, we, we've been talking about trying to build something a little more sizable because we've, we've done some pretty Large, large batches of well, sausage. let me know when you build one and i'll <laughs> bring my stuff over. yeah yeah <laughs> definitely yeah. bring a case of beer and yeah we'll uh we'll smoke the daily we'll hop to it yeah uh i wanted to ask too like when i when i look at your products and like even the the, the feel of your your business here tyrone um it really to me like strikes me as a lot of there's a lot of like the north end feel to it and like for folks that aren't around winnipeg um the north end in winnipeg has historically been like this hotbed of uh kind of a cultural mixing pot in a lot of ways so like but really strongly known for like a lot of like polish ukrainian immigrants in the in the early part of winnipeg 
and um it seems like you're you're tapping into those traditional roots that that we once had you know in that north end of winnipeg down selkirk avenue that area um these really like classic butcher shops that would be serving um those traditional stuff um but like with this artistic flair is that is that like a fair characters characterization of what you're up to or is that's the idea is is to create to create this this uh this product and this feel of carrying on these traditions and these practices that were very prevalent you know in our parents generation um and i think doing like the eastern european uh spin on things too it just kind of like loses that sense of pretense behind it too (laughs) you know my 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 dad grew up uh on dufferin near the corner of Salter. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you remember, but going over that bridge, it was painted on that roof there. Uh, Welcome to the North End. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People before profit. Yeah. And that's the model. Like, that's the raison d'etre for what I'm doing is people before profit. You know, I want to support farmers in our community who I believe in their farming ethics. Um, Give people a product, you know, that's ethically sourced. I believe is sustainable for the future of meat, uh, for the future of farming. And then, you know, try, trying to tell the story of where your food is coming from, connecting people back to the land, you know. Because um, yeah. I remember being a kid and going to all these butcher shops with my dad, you know, and you'd have a different place to like, oh, I go here for my calabrese. Oh, I go here to pick up uh, my pepperonis. Oh, I go get my smokies over here. You know, yeah. like you're going to three different butcher shops <laughs> yeah. to do, you know, your shopping for the week. And uh, yeah, I just, I just remember like this, the smell of walking down those steps, especially at European meats, you know, like the smokehouse there and um, just, just the honest work that everyone was doing. Yeah. You know, I hope that I can do that too. That's, that's funny. Like uh, Carly laughed at me because our butcher waved at me in winters one day, like, so out of like a non-work context, he'd like waved. She's like, how, who is that? Oh, that's the, that's the butcher that we get all our, you know, or a bunch of our meats from, but right. That, that, that is that community feel that you're and kind of, kind of speaking to. When you're at the supermarket, I mean, they go to great lengths to hide where your food's coming from. Yeah. You know, where I want to show people how the sausage is made. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think people are wanting that connection too. And you, you speak to it um, knowing where, where your meat's coming from. And I think for, for us who we talk with a lot of hunters, like that's a driving reason for a lot of the, the work they do outdoors is to, to know where their food's coming from and provide food for their families. So I think um, in some ways, um, you know, you're working on your mission here, providing food for quite a large family which is winnipeg and surrounding area right it's become quite overwhelming yeah like the response has been uh the response has been incredible so far i you know i thought i'd be going into work you know two three days a week making some salamis selling a handful of them and yeah it is that has not been the case it's very quickly become a full-time job well, I can tell you, you became quite popular on the Assiniboine Riverbank this summer when I, I pulled out a case of your hot rods <laughs> and offered. We had a little bit of a fish going with some friends, and they uh, they hadn't heard of Wilczewski's yet, but uh, I passed them around and like, hey, those are good. Where are those from? And like, uh, so like, even just you know, 
your take on the hot rod, which is like, again, maybe considered like a, a lowbrow food or like a very approachable food in some ways was uh, quite impactful for for the, the fishing crew out in Assiniboine. Right. And, and that's what these are. These are traditionally peasant foods, right? Like, how can I stretch this meat I have over the longest period of time? <laughs> yeah. You know, what can I take out with me into the woods for a few days? while I go fishing or while I go hunting and won't spoil and it will taste just as good as when I pulled it out of, you know, the pantry or the fridge. Yeah. So that's a wild part about dry curing. Like how, how long can I leave like that stick of pepperoni in my pack for before I have to like maybe give it a double sniff and forever. <laughs> Honestly, forever. Yeah. It's it, the longer, the longer you would have it out at just like ambient room temperature or whatever, the more it would continue to dry and, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to change the the texture of it or whatnot. And if you like a dryer salami too, like by all means, take my salamis and leave them on your counter and they'll continue to dry. Yeah. You know, we had, uh, we were up in uh camp once and there's a, a guy from Ontario brought this thing, a summer sausage up and it was like a, whatever, about a 12 inch length or whatever. And, um, Man, we were sawing hunks off that thing for, I bet you, a solid week and a half before we finished it. But, like, towards the end of the week and a half, it was getting pretty tough to cut yeah. through that thing. Oh, yeah. But yeah, it was yeah. good. And then I, I, I'm curious, too, because um, where, do, where do you see it kind of heading here? Like, you, you've got some steam going, we can tell. Um, and the creativity is clearly flowing here. Um You've mentioned some things hit the mark, but you're, you you keep kind of driving at, uh, you know, bringing back new and exciting things. You're you're into the pantry stuff now. Like you said, the pickles, I, I saw some mustard out there too. Um, yeah, like mustard is going to be a staple that will always be around. Uh, pickles, I did uh, 150 pounds this year. Wow. Just, you know, uh, cukes from Jeff over at Wild Earth Farms. Uh uh, just off Garvin near near Oak Bank there, which is pretty cool. <laughs> I get to get veggies right right where I grew up. Um, and then I'm gonna have uh, the wild mushroom preserve. So as thing, I did a few jams and whatnot. So as things come in season, they'll be available, but they're they're seasonal. And same goes for the salamis. Like I've got a batch of the lamb salami that will be in the shop um, next week or maybe the week after. But you know, it's got wild Manitoba blueberries mm. in there and. I'm doing another salami that has fresh figs from BC. And um, there will always be products that are in the shop that are seasonal items that I get excited about. Mm. Yeah, I think it's just a matter of capturing ingredients at the height of when they're perfect, you know, and then finding a way to stretch those. So like for the blueberries and figs, for instance, I'll get them at the height of when they're the best. Then I'll dehydrate them and then partially rehydrate them with wine or whatever I want to infuse the salami with before adding into my grind. Interesting. That, uh, and I guess that's another reason to keep checking in because, uh, I know if you, you go to the, the birds Hill canteen there and you like the chicken burger, it's probably going to be the same year in and year out. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's probably been the same for the last 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, it, you're, you're doing things kind of like, um, I, well, I guess how we do things in a lot of ways, we kind of live seasonally too. If the walleye are running, we're fishing for walleye. And if the, you know, a certain time of year we're heading out for trout when it, they're easier to catch and, you know, deer season rolls around and duck season just opened up. So, 
and that's traditionally what we've done, right? You yeah. take advantage of your environment and of the seasons, and then you try to stretch whatever you've been able to hunt or gather for as long as you can, right? Yeah. Are you going to have a, a cold room or a cellar anytime soon? I mean, that's been the dream to be able to winter vegetables. And, you know, I'm at, I'm at a crossroads right now where I am producing as much as I can with the time I have and the space I have. And it's not enough. So I need more space and I need more help. <laughs> <laughs> so, you- But I'm too small to make that step that I'm, okay. you know... Uh, yeah, I just I have reservations about it. When it's small, it's very yeah. it's very controlled, and I'm mm-hmm. very hands on with everything. And I I know everything is as close to perfect as I can make it. Mm. You know, from from the from receiving the pork to the butchering, you know, to the casing everything by hand, um, and all the drying to wrapping it up and delivering it. Like I do my own deliveries too. Like I'm. From start to finish, I see the whole process through, and I take a lot of I take a lot of pride in that. Mm-hmm. And you deliver all the way out to Lockport too. I notice. Oh, I know Paul out in Lockport. If you're listening, <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And quite the delivery vehicle too. You're not driving around in a. Well, actually, my girlfriend Sonata is typically the okay <laughs> the, the delivery vehicle. That's fair. That's fair. Not not to knock Sonatas, but yeah. It's uh, it's funny you talk about the uh, you know the quality assurance I guess you could say um, about your product as well because I have this uh, a buddy of ours his dad used to be a butcher and uh, I remember him just telling us horror stories about the butcher shop and having the help there where they were making sausage and the employee that they had there also taking like the end pieces of their luncheon meat and tossing it in the mix for oh. these people's sausage <laughs> one time and he's like what are you doing yeah and that's the thing like if <laughs> if you want to get in touch with me if you send me an email and i'm i'm the one responding right? yeah like, yeah I'm, I'm curious too um I, I know i'm sure there's a lot of people interested in, in kind of procuring stuff is there um like if I want to do some of my old own wild stuff, is there a resource that you would recommend to check out? Um, well, I think Salumi by Ruleman is a good jumping point. Um, there, there it gives you like a good um, percentages for um, your salts and cures and things like that. So, I mean, if you read that, then you can be pretty confident that you're not going to hurt yourself or others. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good bar to start at yeah but uh yeah i mean i mean just trial and error yeah right like the amount of little things that i've learned and the amount of happy accidents i've had over the past you know few months has really like changed my perspective and really changed the way i do things you know i do a second i do a second stage fermentation now mm. which i never did before but and it was a complete accident that i learned it but interesting so much better for it yeah i thought i'd ruined everything and then i tasted it and i was like this is so better (laughs) yeah see i i missed no i did a second stage fermentation on my plum wine by accident and it turned into plum champagne and everything went sideways after that (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. Uh, the the more and more um, I sit here and talk to you and listen to you, uh, the more I get this feeling that you're uh, you're actually just like a mad scientist <laughs> in the <this> shop. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's good. Um, and can you clarify too? Like, I remember chatting with you about you know what kind of curing salt to use for for dry aging. There's it's actually hard to get a hold of the proper cure up here is that accurate it was until very recently they started making uh, a different uh, product here in canada but before i used to have to ship it in from the states which i don't know if <laughs> that was supposed to be coming across the border but before here it, it was is. very <laughs> difficult to get a hold of and we don't know how it got up here <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that's funny but, the, the other question i had to you're, you're getting into in, into mustard or you're establishing the mustard i feel like is an underrated food food group in and of itself i would say like uh i i consume a lot of mustard and i feel like not as many people have as much love for it as, <laughs> as i do <laughs> um best hot mustard what's your go-to oh man i've been doing the um oh it's got the little baba on the bottle Around the the glass jar, Elmans, yeah, yeah, Elmans hot. Is it Elmans? Yeah, yeah. So Elmans in the north end, of course. Yeah, on Jarvis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That jar, <laughs> that hot mustard is the best mustard. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. Are you gonna make a hot one yourself or no? No. When they're that's the thing. I've always respected if people have done something that I cannot do anything better than yeah, yeah. Then just go buy Elmans. Right. Don't buy mine. Buy like, and then, yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna make yeah. hot mustard because you can get it at Elmans. Put it on my salami, but you, you yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny, and on oh, Elmans, uh, Baba's barrel cured dills. Okay, those are great too. Yeah. What 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 rye bread do you default to then? Oh man, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna get in trouble if I if I say. Do you have connections? Is that is that the I gotta say, city city rye, city eh? Yeah, I'm more of a cube guy myself, but it's uh, city's got more of the texture to it. I cube's gonna have a hit on me now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's the the monopoly or what's this? <laughs> there, there might be a rye bread mafia in in uh, Winnipeg. It's be hard to say. And you know, like there's the recent uh, bagel explosion in Winnipeg. That's true like, too. Bagels are back. Yeah. You know, that's kind of a different line, though, isn't it? Like that's more of the like, um, isn't that more of like a kosher like Jewish tradition? Well, we were talking about rye, and then it got me thinking about guns, and then it got me thinking about mm. bagels. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, guns is uh, one of the few scratch bakeries in in their area. I heard. Yeah, I'm still running after all these years. It's wild. Well, I think that's about all I had on my end. Chase, did you have any kind of final finals? Um, I don't think so, man. I, I think it's, I don't know. I, I, I love kind of what you're about and how <laughs> like, it's not just about making sausage, right? It's a whole experience that you're, you're, you're selling. And it's not only just like that you're, you have your hands on every, every part of it, but you're, you're making sure like you're getting proper ingredients 
interesting ingredients like locally sourced stuff and it's all like intentional and very um i don't know just feels good yeah you know? <laughs> I, I, hope, I hope it's thoughtful and i hope it gets you know people to think more about where their food's coming from and and you know I, I really do think that there is a renaissance and people wanting to know how did this you know get on my plate or get in my grocery bag like, mm-hmm. people want to know what what's happening behind the scenes a lot of i think a lot of bad things in our food system have been exposed recently and mm-hmm. you know maybe we could be part of the part of that change for sure i'm wondering too like i, I have one more question i lied i have one more up my sleeve and like Everything you've been through here, Tyrone, we, we've we've gone through your journey here somewhat to some extent. Uh, would you do anything differently along the way, or like, is there anything that stands? Was there any big like learning lesson that stands out in your mind here before we depart? Just like for for other listeners looking to get into the dry curing game or something like that. You know, uh, if I were to do anything different, I think I would have just dove right in instead of dipping a toe. You know. Yeah. Um, just from the amount I've learned, learned over the past few, uh, past few months of just being completely immersed in it, you know, I just wish I would have done it sooner. Yeah. Um, because I feel like I've barely scratched the surface and I'm learning stuff every day and trying new things all the time. Yeah. That's, that's impactful. Um, so you heard it here first, folks. Eat that black mold salami that you have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't, don't don't eat that. White white is white is good as uh, in this equation. Is that the the right one? The, yeah, the white mold we're looking white, for. White uh, white is safe. White is safe. That's good to know. Well, thanks for coming on the the, the podcast. We're, I'm so glad we finally made it work. And uh, I know we did. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to a long continued tradition of Wilchanski's and uh, all the amazing products you're going to be bringing forward. Thanks for having me. That's a wrap on 96. Again, a huge thank you to Tori Roan for coming out, sharing his knowledge, and giving us just a little behind the scenes peek at what it means to be making sausage. That's great. Thanks, Tyrone. Um, I just want to uh, bring some clarity to the to the podcast here as well. And I know you folks probably haven't heard our other partner Sheldon on here for a while, and he is slaving away still, building power lines on um, some of those fire affected communities. So he does want to be here, and uh, you know he's given up a lot of his his hunting time and stuff to to help build those power lines back up. So um, hopefully he can uh, wrap up some of those projects pretty soon and get back behind the mic and back in the tree stand. Really? Yeah. Yeah. We're talking with Sheldon, you can tell that he's really been grinding up there. So we want to wish you well up there, Shelly. We want to wish you safety and uh, hopefully you get done ahead of schedule for, for once. Is that fair to say, Chase? Yeah. Yeah. That would be fair to say, man. Cause there's all kinds of setbacks. I'm sure that occur once you start dealing with the the muskag and all the different things that could happen up there so yeah yeah sounds like he hasn't had an easy run so but uh progress is being made which is good so hopefully it goes totally. smooth from here buddy we appreciate the work and uh, while you're listening we've got our fall stuff coming out and uh new to the store still is the youth hats and also 
I believe there's a restock on the Blaze Orange. Is that correct, Chase? Uh, that is incorrect. Uh, yeah, we don't have any new Blaze coming in. Oh, you know what we do? We will have some, I believe, Blaze sweaters coming in. Right. And uh, fairly soon. Um, but we do have the uh, crew necks that are still on the shelf that are fairly new. So we got some some army green, some gunmetal gray, and camouflage ones that are super comfy, perfect for fall in the city or out for your evening stroll. Mm-hmm. And as always, don't forget to like, rate, and comment. Uh, all that helps us expand our reach, get the good word out, and maybe even get some cooler guests. And so uh, we appreciate you for listening and uh, thanks for tuning in. And you find folks, you keep your edge on the knife there, keep your powder dry. And what's the last one there? Uh, We'll say keep your mold white. That's a good one. Keep your mold white, folks.